Alright, here we go. Inside Golf Podcast, US Open, betting picks with Pat Mayo. Before we bring on Pat, we are presented as always by RickRungood.com. My full deep dive on Brookline is live in there right now on the site. My DraftKings article will be up there on Wednesday morning. If you got any questions for me, you can also hit me up all week over there in the Slack. So be sure to sign up today using promo code Andy. That's the important part. You can get the week-long pass for just $7, and we'd love to have you be part of that community. Other quick reminder, doing a big cash slash Scotty Cameron giveaway this week. All you've got to do, five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It takes about 30 seconds, generally. And for that 30 seconds of your time, you'll be entered into a draw for your choice of $200 in cash or my beloved Scotty Cameron, if that's what you'd prefer. So make sure to leave your email or Twitter handle in the review. Uh, And if you want to share the show around on Twitter as well, that definitely won't hurt your chances either. All of that helps me out more than you know. So without further ado, let's talk to Pat. All right, Pat Mayo is here. Pat Mayo Experience, Mayo Media Network. Pat, it's been a while, man. How are you? How are you on these on these weeks? I would imagine you're uh, you're quite the busy guy. So, how's your Monday of U.S. Open week going, my friend? I have, with ten years of experience at this now, and really blowing things out for major week. I really do get a massive head start on everything, and right. I, I've learned that releasing my research show on the Friday before just—it's you know selfish in a way because it gets me so ahead throughout the course of the week that I have all of this prep done that I run a pretty efficient ship over here. So it's not too bad. And I always kind of make the comment, I'm glad you reached out to me. Kirsch reached out to me last time and just <laughs> no one ever reaches out to me to be a guest on any of these things. I, I usually always say yes. Well, that's the thing too, because I've had that a couple of times with me and I imagine it's magnified tenfold with you where I've had one or two people say to me like, hey, I would have reached out to you like eight months ago, but I didn't think you were going to say yes. It's like, dude, you'd be surprised how much time I actually do have. (laughs) I think a lot of people in our industry are like that. There's a lot of weird downtime when you create content and you try to, once you get a good plan in place and you've been doing it over and over, it's, it's a lot of repetition week after week when you know your schedule, how long everything takes, and you can actually plan pretty well for it. And I just like talking about golf. So the more I can talk about golf, the better it is for me. I like the uh, the idea that you have done recently. I don't know when you started it. Maybe you definitely did it last year. I don't know if you've done it for two years, but the going through player by player with Rec, I don't know how you guys do it. It is. We were trying to figure out a way because Rick wasn't able to do because it's because it's Tambo, myself, and Raza on right. like the big DraftKings Millionaire Maker preview show, and I think we used to do that on Tuesdays. And put it out, or we used to record it on Saturdays and put it out on Sundays. Then I didn't have a Tuesday show. And then Rick was never able to do it on Sundays anymore because Rick is a very busy dude. I know. So the compromise that we came up with, he was like, Yeah, I can do it on Tuesday afternoons. I was like, Well, I don't want to make it the same show. What can we do that's a little bit different? And I was like, How about we just go from the top of the salaries to the <laughs> bottom, player by player? And people love 
that show. It's like the most positive feedback I get on any show. Cause like the, the custom Jeff show, people love that show. There's a lot of people that hate that show as well with the really. Oh yeah. Oh, of course it's a golf audience and it's three people yelling at each other. That's not necessarily the wheelhouse for a lot of golf fans, but it has like a great amount of love that goes towards it because of the style of the show, but you get a lot of detractors. It's the same as our spread pick show for football. It's our most popular show, but it also has a lot of people who really hate it. It also has people who only listen to that or watch that show out of all the shows that I put out. So it's polarizing. That's kind of the stance where you want to be. The, the Rick and I show is not polarizing whatsoever. It has, I'd say, probably like a 99.5% approval rate. And I love doing it with Rick. And it's just been a fantastic addition to Major Week. Well, as you know, there's no real way to win because I kind of got my start going super in-depth with like the numbers, right? Like my podcast started out, the lane that I found was, okay, I'm going to take my love of architecture and apply that to gambling, right? Because no one's really going deep into the architecture and applying that into gambling. As the podcast has grown, like I started to notice that the best feedback to episodes that I was getting was when I would bring my friends on and we would just shoot the shit. And it would be a lot more casual, a lot less in the weeds, a lot less number intensive. And then the second you start doing that, you also get people at the same time going, why don't you go back? You're just talking about something that doesn't matter to me anymore. I'm not getting any more information for you. I like your voice for the people. It's very, <laughs> I, I feel like I, I thought I had capitalized on the market for like annoying random internet person voice, but that's pretty good. You're, you're, really, t- you're really getting in my lane here. I, I don't know if I if I, I brought it out so just for you because I know it's your thing. It is. It's a good bit. And I I do like you should really add that to your repertoire. That's a really good voice. I like it a lot. And it's funny because uh, I had been speaking about this. I think it was with Davis the last time that I was on with him. And people want to joke and have fun with you on the Internet. That's that's a part of the interaction that you get. But I can I don't (laughs) this is going to sound really bad, but I don't have the time to tell whether you're serious or you're joking. Like it's it doesn't translate that way as well. If like someone shoots me a Twitter message or a YouTube comment, I just assume they're serious. And I'm like, oh, geez, that's not very nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you were the first to tell me. I think you were the one of the first to tell me, like, dude, just do not read the comments, because I remember the first time you brought me on, which was, geez, probably a year ago now you were really the one that I learned that from. So I very much appreciate that. And as I've always told you, I appreciate a lot of things in in helping pave the way for me, uh, as I've always said. Well, I'm glad I could be of a help. I don't think you needed too much of my help, but uh, you're... Any help that I was able to deliver to you, you've taken it and run with it. You're you're the rocket ship right now. I'm like the old man in the space. It's really bizarre. I don't feel like an old man in general, but within this space right now, like I have like the oldest guy. Me, me and the tour junkies. That that's it. Do you feel like we're gonna get to the US Open in a second, but do you feel like there is another golf podcast entering like every five minutes? Because it, it kind of seems that way now. Yeah, I do. And uh, it's funny, I felt that way. Five years ago, right? I felt that way. Three years ago, I felt that way at the beginning of this season. 
I, I think that people like to talk about golf and a lot of the people who have sprung up podcasts were people who listened to Jeff and me or yes. the tour junkies or, I mean, back in the day before Tambo was even on fantasy golf degenerates, like Brad and that Zach was, and Kenny. That you and Jeff were my intro to golf. Yeah. And, and, and Rick has inspired a lot of people to do it himself. So I, I, I can see why people would want to start a podcast. It's fun. And if you, I think that the people who do it the best right now, because you see a lot of people just trying to get a quick cash grab into the sure. space. And it, it feels so disingenuous. Like we started, Jeff and I started this show. I mean, we were working at Fantasy Sports Network together. We were getting paid to work there, but we weren't getting paid to do the golf show. We just started doing the golf show because we liked doing a golf show. No one was doing a golf show. It's like, hey, we like to talk about golf. Let's talk about golf. And the people that end up actually making the most money and getting the most success are the ones who get into it who don't even try to do that. They just like talking about golf. Right. That translates. For anyone out there starting a podcast, don't start a podcast on anything you don't actually like to talk about. <laughs> like, it's why I don't talk about baseball anymore. I, you, the Pat Mayo experience for the first fuck, four or five years when it was out, like I covered baseball full time along with football and then golf came along and I just wasn't interested in baseball anymore. I could have kept it going, but I was like, I don't like talking about this anymore. I think that's going to translate that I have no interest in this. Therefore, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about this other thing. And hopefully people see that I'm passionate enough about this, that even if they don't give a shit about golf, they're only there for football or baseball. Hey, maybe they'll give this a try too. And that's what happened. And that's how people stuck around. That's why I kind of mentioned like find your lane too, right? Like you have to be passionate about it. If you're not passionate about it, people will be able to see right through that, right? So like that's what I was kind of talking about with the, you know, I kind of was able to find my lane with the architecture stuff. How long do you think it is before we get our, uh, our first live only podcast? Because there's an opening there. I toyed with it. I'm toying with it for because I don't have a Tuesday show anymore. Uh, the Tuesday show is now a fancy football show. Tambo ruined the DraftKings pick show for everyone right. out there <laughs> right. because it just, ha you, I mean, you, we've always done this. Like, have you ever had a guest in studio with you? No. It's a different experience and it does enhance podcasts. Anyone, everyone's favorite podcast, unless they are some people who have been working together for years, to have that sort of repertoire and back and forth that you would normally have in person, to have that over online through Zoom, through Skype, whatever right. it is that people use, it's just really difficult to find. And like I found people that I'm able to do that with. I mean, that's why sometimes we'll have Cust in studio, but Cust will always be on the line because I can talk to him just like I'm talking to him. Rick is another one. Ben Raza is another one. Like I have so many reps with these guys yeah. over the years. Jake Seeley uh, most definitely is another one. Gary and Chris. That, there's a reason that these guys always come back. I feel like they make better shows, not necessarily because they're the greatest guests in the world. I think they are, but other people may not. But I think that the quality of show that I can produce with them trumps everything because people want podcasts to be conversational. They don't want it to be like even to you, like dig in depth on architecture or stats. No one wants to hear you read a list of 100 stats in a row and say, <laughs> right. okay, bye. <laughs> exactly. Right. No, that was the kind of conclusion that I came to after a while. It's like once you once you don't have to focus on growth as much, like at the beginning, I was so focused, okay, get people that have bigger followings than me, get people that have bigger followings than me, keep growing the show, keep growing the show. Once you kind of don't have to worry about that as much, like Rick pays me nicely now just to have on whoever I want, that is the pinnacle of podcasting. That is when you're at your peak, when you've got, you've got the advertisers that you need, you're paid for it, and you can just bring on your fucking friends. 
And that's usually when the shows end up getting better when you don't have Correct. that pressure. But I would recommend that you should always, I'm always trying to get bigger and better You're all right. the time. Like I am so focused on growth. That is the main thing that I'm always thinking about with all this. And people might look at my show and say, hey, that's a big show. There's a big market out there that I just don't have whatsoever. And I want to be able to reach those people because it's not so much that like, hey, more advertising money. I mean, that's nice that comes along with it, but I just selfishly want my show to be a bigger show. I want to reach more people. Like that's always the goal of doing this. You're talking about something like you think you're doing a good show. Now you want as many people to listen to it or watch it as possible. And I think that should always be on the back burner is finding different ways to reach new audiences. And it's really tough, especially in the like just as Video can help because you can SEO videos on right. YouTube that pops up in a Google search. But if you're audio only and you're popping up on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever it might be, it's really tough to grow. Like that's word of mouth. That's why I always tell people like leaving those ratings and reviews, the retweets, the telling people about like, hey, you should check out this podcast. That stuff is like the lifeblood of everything that we do. That's how people discover these shows. So if you're out there, whether I mean, you don't need to do it for me. I mean, I would suggest that you do it for me. I, I, I bribe people to do it for me. You want to get on giveaways, just click on my newsletter. You'll find tons of ways to get cash in your pocket. But for any show that you like, whether it's a golf show, a football show, a comedy show, tell someone who enjoys podcasts about them. That's that's how they grow. And that's how they're going to get better. And that's how they're going to do more shows. Like that's, it seems very intuitive to people who do it, but it does not whatsoever to people who don't run their own podcast. Like, yeah, I'm a consumer and you know, we could use a little bit of help here. <laughs> Right. Okay. Last question on this. I could talk to you about this for like an hour, but um, do you think there is like a, when you say untapped market with golf, I feel like there's a lot of casual golf fans. Like maybe I'm thinking of like the people that listen to like Barstool and stuff like that, that are kind of just starting to figure out golf betting. I feel like just the specificity of golf betting and DraftKings on its own is going to continue to grow at a pretty rapid rate. I agree with that, although it does feel like until New York, California, Texas, and Florida are all open, you yes. have to remember that the people who are like the people that would listen to our shows about betting who live in those states already, like they're betting already. Like it doesn't matter that gambling isn't legalized where they live, they're finding ways to bet. It's when those markets open up, it then triggers and okay, this is fine now for the rest of the people to come in. But I just look at like Brandel Chambly as like 250,000 Twitter followers. <laughs> like I, I get that he's on golf channel, but that's the audience that I'm talking about. Like right. people who like listen to him and follow him. Like how can we get those people over into our space? Because whether you gamble on or play DraftKings or not, like a lot of the shows that we're producing right now, yes, there's that element and that's the way that it's framed, but it's still golf talk. We're, right. we're breaking down the field. Who do you think is going to win? What happened last week? What are the storylines that people want to know about? Like, that's what we're still talking about. Well, that's why they have to put us on the broadcast, Pat, on the gambling only broadcast. Dude, hey, trust me. I, I've made my moves. I've had my conversations. Maybe that will be the outcome of live. I remember I talked to Will Haskett about that. And it's funny. you. Talk I saw about that. It was a good show. I like that like, one. I really like that one too. That show, shockingly, not super popular amongst like the real fans. You know why? Because it wasn't picks for that week. Like picks draws people in. That's what people want to click on. But I, I really enjoyed that conversation with Will. And if the live can work as some sort of like XFL proxy where you can take the best of the live and just incorporate it on the PGA Tour, force them to think outside the box a little bit, that's, I'm thinking how we get our gambling only broadcast or right. radio every whole broadcast or camera every whole broadcast, whatever 
it might be, just having that out there as a separate tour, if they start doing things, not everything better, because they're not going to, trust me, they're not going to do everything better than the PGA Tour. But if they can do one or two things better than what the PGA product is producing right now, the PGA Tour should steal it, do it better, and then we all win watching the PGA Tour. Right, exactly. And I mean, I think that... I mean, with the live stuff, I don't even the you you're closer in with DraftKings. Obviously, do you think we ever get contests for those events? I don't know. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, because yeah. DraftKings, FanDuel, points bet. I mean, points bets affiliated with NBC, which is the Golf Channel, so they have that integration. FanDuel and DraftKings are official partners of the PGA. But you think Gretzky, being a BetMGM guy with the new DJ partnership, could they could probably figure that out with BetMGM at some point? Yeah, but BetMGM bet doesn't run Daily Fantasy. Like they like DraftKings Sportsbook had live odds. Like you could bet on it at DraftKings Sportsbook. But when it comes to actual gamification of it, I mean, there's XFL and USFL. Although the NFL is an official partner of the of DraftKings, now they don't see those as competition at all because yeah. they're not. And the PGA Tour does see live as competition. I don't know if they would throw their bodies in front of that. I'm really not sure how that's going to work. I would guess that, yes, at some point it's going to be there, but probably not soon. Right. Well, speaking of picks, let's transition there at some point. Well, before we do the transition, I don't want to step on you. Do you even think that, like, Live Golf was really weird to watch? I actually thought the broadcast was pretty good. It just was really confusing. Like, would DFS even work for, like, how would you, like, they would have to, it wouldn't be six players salary cap of $50,000. Like you would need like a captain or something to go along with, or like maybe you could take a team as a player because they work in teams. I I don't really know how it would work. I don't think, you know how shitty the WGCs are for DraftKings golf, like no cut limited field. Like that's not fun. So you need to find ways to spruce it up a little bit. And maybe that's something that they can do. I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't be shocked if they scrapped the whole team element. I don't think it worked. I think that they probably were able to see that it didn't really work. I mean, you actually listen to the broadcasters and they were like, oh, this putt matters for the stingers, but these guys, but this actually doesn't matter for this guy because they're playing against each other. Like it, it was really, really convoluted. And the best thing about the teams was the idea of a draft. Like I would have been very excited to watch that draft and they want to have the draft be like a private party. Right. So I actually think like all startups in their first stages make a ton of mistakes. I think they're probably going to figure out a way to make things less convoluted and make us make the actual um, entertainment product there better outside of like on the competition side, outside of the entertainment side. So yeah, I think best case scenario, they figure that out a little bit more and yeah, it turns into a situation like the weeks with, like the tour championship, obviously there's no starting strokes or something like that. But like you said, with the WGCs where it's like, it becomes a lot about game theory because there's only 48 players. We'll see how this ends up going. Um, Obviously the tour is not going anywhere. And once it moves stateside, what is it next week in Portland? Then we'll see how things go then. Like, will they continue to average? I tuned in on Sunday on YouTube. There's like a hundred thousand people watching, which I thought was like a lot more than I thought that, that number would be. Put I have no way. context for that. Was that good? I feel like that's good. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I feel like that's good too. Considering the, like the average golf fan, 
who tunes into like CBS to watch the PGA Tour is like 300 years old that they probably don't know how to find the live tour on YouTube or Facebook or whatever it may be. So I, I think that's a pretty good number. But was that just it was like week one of the XFL back in the day did giant ratings. And then week two, not so much. And then week three, literally no one was watching anymore. Right. And that's the predicament that Liv is going to have with themselves is like so many people tuned in for the spectacle aspect. But once you get past the spectacle aspect, how do you keep people? Well, you could say you keep people by the fields continuing to get better, which I think they are beginning to. Obviously, the Portland one's going to be a lot better than the previous one. And now they've got like, I think they made a big mistake the USGA. Well, not a big mistake because maybe their whole view of it was to look at it like we don't want to make this a total sideshow for our players. But did you see some of the pairings that came out this morning? I liked it. Uh, I I mean, this is the best. There's a reason that the USGA didn't ban the live players from playing <laughs> in this tournament because it's big, big time ratings for them. Like the USGA operates independently from the PGA Tour. Having these guys there is newsworthy. People are talking about this. This is a hype U.S. Open. How are these guys going to play? And I think that sprinkling them in. Poor Shane Lowry. Playing with, he's playing with Louie and Phil. <laughs> Get the sales pitch ready for that one. They could have done like, I mean, they could have done something like Rory DJ, right? I mean, just lean into the good versus evil aspect of it. They could have, but the I, I they like to have weird pairings with I, I think Morikawa. Who's Morikawa with? He's with I can check. The, he's with the PGA. There's like a open championship. Like right. that's the Lowry group. Lowry. It's, it's Morikawa, Rom, and James Piot who won the U.S. the most recent USAM. So you're right. They like to do stuff like that. Yeah, like Phil, Louie, and Lowry are all open champions. They put those three together. So they, they tend to do like little like mini groupings based on these things. So th- there is probably a method to their madness, and they didn't probably want to go too out there with everything, knowing that there's going to be a shit show that follows either way. Do you think, I've heard some chatter about this already. I was listening, somebody did a Twitter thread this morning and was talking about who's on site right now. Do you think that, the Boston fans. We've heard a lot about these Boston fans. Do you think like that they're actually going to give these guys shit? Like, what do you think the level of fan interaction is going to be this week? Because I feel like a lot of people like I feel like we overestimate how many people actually care about this. I completely agree. I think that's a very much like Twitter golf world bubble, bubble. type thing. Like <laughs> the like the the constant outrage from the same fucking seven people all the time. Yes. The holier than thou people of Twitter. Uh, I think that the, you know, you're going to hear boos, you're going to hear sneers, but like Phil's still going to be cheered. People like Phil. Like they don't love, love him anymore, but there are people who are Phil loyalists. They're going to, especially in the Northeast where Phil's like a real big hit, as we've seen, like Sergio was going to be booed, but spoiler alert, Sergio was going to be booed anyway. So right. I, I'm, I think that I'm worried read, Phil's, Phil's losing Tim. <laughs> yeah. Well, like uh, Bryson's going to be booed. Reed's going to be booed. They were probably going to be booed anyway. So I don't think it's going to create that big of a thing, um, despite how the PGA Tour and a lot of people actually want to frame it. Like, you're going to hear a few comments here or there, but I don't think that the, the galleries are going to turn on Phil. If Phil's playing well, which if Phil is playing well, which he probably will not, the galleries will be with Phil and like rooting him on. And honestly, there is no bigger story to happen for golf for all of us than if Phil somehow wins this or ends up in contention. Like, it's a big story if that happens. It's huge. I mean, I think the, if I was to rank them, I would say like, what do you think the ideal final group is? Phil? Rory. Yeah. 
Phil Rory is the ideal final group if you could do it and have like a few other live guys in there. Like if it was like Bryson, if Bryson was somehow in the final five groups, DJ was in the final five groups, Louie, and then you had like your, you know, your PGA tour heroes. So you had like Justin Thomas and Scheffler, Finau, even like, hell, just yeah. throw the three people who were in the final group, at the Canadian Open. <laughs> that couldn't have worked. It almost seemed rigged how perfectly that worked out that you had basically your three. I mean, Spieth being there would be, Spieth instead of Finau would really be the answer, but Finau was massively popular anyway for the guys in that field that week. Like Scheffler is a big name, but he's not popular like Finau is popular. He's just a guy like Thomas. I, I mean, is Thomas even as popular as Tony Finau? People love Tony Finau. <laughs> People love Tony Finau. I think JT. Yeah, I mean, he, but was he top 10 in the pip? Maybe. JT? I think so. I think he was. I don't know if Finau was. I mean, that's a funny thing, too. Like, they lost number three and number seven, I think, in, or, or number two and number seven. In the yeah, pit. but we don't know how that is calculated. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, was Dustin Johnson really inside the top ten? I find that very hard to believe. I don't know about D. I know Bubba was, I guess. So Bubba's another name that's going. I mean, DJ is... I thought DJ was the perfect guy to go because DJ is just going to get up there and say, I'm here to play golf. And like, he's just going to move on. Like he doesn't, I don't think he cares. I don't think he cares what people think about him. I don't think he cares what people say. And I actually think, I mean, are you playing any of these guys, even in DraftKings, like of the live guys, who do you probably have the most interest in? Louis. 100% 100% Louie at 7,400 bucks. No one's going to use any of these little guys. Any like of That's going to be a big Gooch, bias 75, none of these guys are going to get used. No, I, I really don't think so. Uh, I mean, if you had the guts for DJ, I don't. Like, he's going to be like 3% owned. And it's Dustin Johnson. I just released a Twitter thread uh, that has some fun Dustin Johnson stats and who absolutely kills U.S. Opens every single year. Like He's <laughs> one of the best U.S. Open players uh, of all time. He has the win, but even just year after year, the consistency that he has at this event, like 19th, 6th, 35th, 3rd, miscut, 1st, 2nd, 4th. Like, that's a pretty good run over the past eight years at the U.S. Open. Is he that guy anymore? Probably not, especially with the, the hassle that he's going through right now. He hadn't played a bunch of golf, although he looked okay at the first live tournament. Like, he was he was fine. But Top Louis, 10, yeah. But, like, Louis actually got no heat for this whatsoever. Like, even when you see, like, Westwood got heat, Graham McDowell got heat. I haven't heard fuck all about Louis. He is just <laughs> there. People are like, yeah, look, Louis, he's supposed to be on his firm. He wants to show up and play 10 times a year, and he wants a bunch of money. Perfect. This, this sounds great for Louis. But he's another guy who absolutely destroys the U.S. Open. He's been fantastic over the years. And, look, He's $7,600. That's the same price as Sungjae, who is the most Andrew Kirst player of the week, which is not great. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> on Sungjae. But like of the guys in that range, like Keegan's going to be popular on DraftKings. Sungjae, Tommy Fleetwood, Mito, Homa, Connors, Davis Riley, Harold Varner. These are all guys that people want to use this week. And my eyes just keep looking more and more. And I, I like all those guys. But yeah. then I see Louis sitting there. It's like, what's Louis's ownership going to be? Let me look at Fantasy National right now. What? How many people are, do you think? What would you guess Louis's ownership is in the fifteen dollar milli maker? Four percent. Yeah, he's rating it on Fantasy National at five and a half or seven and a half percent right now. Is that more than? Is that more than Gooch? Let me. I can look too. Uh, it's a, it's basically the same as Gooch, right? But I think it's actually lower than that. I think the people who use the site are. I don't, I don't know whether they're sharper or not. Cause like 
I could say that I'm sharp, but I'm not sharp. I would win more if I was sharp. But I at least see the notion there that like, oh, here's a guy who's good. That's going to be lower owned. Let me star him. So I think that more fantasy national users would be on Louis than probably your general public. 4,400 lineups have been generated so far in Fantasy National. Dustin Johnson is in 3% of them. Victor Hovland, by the way, is in 4% of them. Cameron Smith's in 5% of them. That's crazy to me. I mean, it's, I, it, it is, but like, it I, isn't. I, there, there's a reason, like, here are the low-owned guys above $8,000. Hatton, 3%. Horschel, 7 Brooks, 4 Cantley, 9 Yeah, he'll probably be around there. Dustin, 3 Hovland five, Morikawa seven, Cameron Smith six. Like those are your quote unquote pivot plays. They're the low owned guys at the top end. But I completely understand why no one wants to use them. I don't want to use them. Do you? <laughs> I would say of the Cameron Smith, Morikawa, Hovland group, I would want Morikawa the most. Me too, you? but also very cursed. Very cursed. Very I, I think cursed. the move is, uh, honestly, I, I'm going to bet him and I might use him at like an 80% clip this week and just push all my chips into the middle. Cause I think he's going to be wildly under owned wildly under owned. I mean, you don't even, ha- you could, Oh, play- not, not, not Morikawa. I'm talking about my guy, Scotland Shefford or Scotty Scheffler as other people call him. Okay. So of that group, I feel like it's going to be Rory. Rory. Rory's going to be the guy it's saying 17.4 right now. I don't believe that. I think that gets above 20%. And then of Scheffler, JT Rom, who do you think is the next highest? JT, then Rom, then Scheffler. There's already been a little bit of like Rom starting to drift in the betting markets. Are we sure Rom's that good anymore? He's yeah, been but every time that happens the... to Rom, people are like, "Oh my it, God, low on Rom." Let exactly. me use him. And then he's like twenty <laughs> percent. Exactly. That's what I. That's what I was getting to. Exactly. But but no one wants to use like I like I. Fifteen is the number I see on Scheffler to win this event right now. I am theorizing. Maybe I'm just wishful thinking on this. I think we'll see a twenty somewhere on him by the end of the week. Just. Do you hear any buzz about Scotty Scheffler right now? The number one player in the world? None. No buzz about him at all. I think people, it's just fatigue. Like, I think people are just like, okay, it's someone else's turn. And listen, I am usually down with that. But out of all these top guys, when you dig into the numbers and you look and you think about the style of play that this requires, I don't see why you wouldn't go to like he and Rom are best suited for this with Rory next and then Justin Thomas slightly behind for US Open hard conditions. Right. I think that Scheffler and Rom, like these are the types of courses that they play well. So are you basically you're in on Morikawa, you're in on Sungjae. I'm in on Sungjae too, by the way. I think everybody's in on Sungjae at this point. You're kind of leaving that spot open for Scheffler. Yes. So I built a betting card. I have that. I go to a Substack, Mayo Media. You can check out my cheat sheet so far for the bets that I have in. I have Scheffler on the list, but I just said that I'm going to wait for a better number because it's not going down. Put it that way. If whatever his number is today is either going to be the same or better come Wednesday night because no one's betting the guy. So if it's 15 right now, maybe it's not 20, maybe it's 17 or maybe it's 18, but the number is going to be better. Or it'll be exactly the same. So I feel like I can wait for that. I don't know if I can bet Morikawa now that he's super cursed. I already have Sungjae. I didn't know he was cursed when I bet him. So you have Scheffler at the top. I bet Lowry at 40. I bet Berger at 66. I bet Sungjae at 66. And I bet Keegan Bradley at 80. Those are the bets that I have in. As you say that, a text from Feinberg comes in. How long do you think we have to wait for a 30 on Xander? (laughs) What what does he think? Like people aren't wanting to bet Xander this week. Everyone, uh, people love betting Xander. They love losing their number. They sure do. 
They sure do. I luckily bet him at the Zurich Classic at eight to one, so I can justify that I'm actually up money on Xander this year. But there's there's no way. I mean, what is he on DraftKings? Sixteen. Yeah. How do you go to sleep at night with Xander at 16 and Colin at 30? And I can't even blame DraftKings either because it's not like people aren't betting it. That, that's the whole thing. I, I think Jeff and I talked about that on the show today. It's just you could make Xander any number you wanted. And there's a group of people who will bet on him. It doesn't matter. You think it's just, and he's always going to be even more inflated at the U.S. Open because obviously he hasn't finished worse than seventh at a U.S. Open. Do you think it's just like a like a people trying to call the first one? Like how popular do you think Zalatoris is going to be this week? DraftKings or betting? Uh, Both. I mean, I think DraftKings, what, like 12 to 16%. I'm not sure if we'll see him on a ton of betting cards. I I have interest in him in both ways. I don't think he'll be as popular on DraftKings as maybe some people think. I think he's in a very like big squeeze position here because people will talk themselves into Decky and then people will see Cantlay's ownership and be like, oh, low-owned Cantlay, let me boost that up a little bit. And then he, he goes from 9% to 13%. That just detracts from Zalatoris. Now, Dustin is right there, which helps right above him. But then you have Xander and Spieth right above him as well. And I can guarantee you that Xander and Spieth are just more popular options than Zalatoris. He's properly priced. And before he was a bit like lower price. You're like, oh yeah, I can squeeze him in. He was in sort of the Matthew Fitzpatrick role of this week. Like, hey, Zalatoris, 8,700, good price. But now he's a bit more expensive and people would be like, yeah, I can have Lowry for a little bit less or Spieth for a little bit more. Those become the decisions that you have to make. I like Zalatoris a lot. I don't know if I'm going to get there in the betting market because I just told you the five guys that I have targeted. Uh, And if I mean, if Jeff thinks that there's going to be a Xander 30 out there, there's going to be like a 70 on Morikawa if that's the case. But I think that he at least gets to 40 by the time Wednesday rolls along. You know, the one guy you didn't mention that I have bet, can I sell you on Neiman at all? Neiman's fine. I don't like his odds. 40. Yeah. I, I, can, I bet Lowry at 40. I'd rather have Lowry. Yeah. I just feel like with Neiman... You want to be there for Neiman. I get it. Oh, I sure do. I mean, a guy like the guy has one. I mean, he went wire to wire at Riviera. Like, I think he's good enough to win a major. Like, if Neiman wins a major in the next year, is anyone surprised? No, 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 not not at all. But like, maybe we'll see some drift as the week goes along. As eventually, when the betting markets settle themselves, it's only Monday evening as we talk about this. They'll see where right. the money is coming in and then readjust. You might be able to grab a better number. I'm interested in a better number. Like, Cameron Young is a hundred dollars less on DraftKings, but you can find him as deep as 55. So 15 points better. I don't think that there's a lot separating those two guys. I don't think there's 15 betting points of difference separating those two guys. Can you contend that, you know, Joaquin's been around longer. He has the big win on his resume. Is he a better player? Yeah. I I think that he is a better player. Is he a 15 points in the betting market, better player for this specific tournament? I don't know. I don't know about that. Cam Young, you could also, I mean, I've seen 60s i've seen like 60s 65s on cam young like that's a like that that whole group how do you evaluate that whole group of young Mito, riley because i think i have no idea what to do with any of them in any markets like riley hasn't finished outside of the top 15 in a pga tour event in like two months right like these guys keep defying expectations and keep playing well like how are you handling kind of that group and 
I guess, betting and both DraftKings? DraftKings, I think you can just basically use them all, depending on how chalky you want your lineups to be. For betting, I have my favorites there. Like, I got Berger at 66. He's 45 in a lot of places. That bets up on 365 right now if you want that boost and take it with the placement points. But that's how I ended up on Lowry instead of Neiman and Berger instead of Cam Young or Max Homa or these guys, just because I, I thought that the number was better on them. And I have them all about equal. Like, I, And I like Berger. It, it's sort of like you betting Neiman. I'm betting Berger because I want to be there for Berger if he can right. end up breaking through. And I think that we play those favorites uh, over and over. Like if all things being equal and you see Sungjae at 40 today, I don't know if I'd bet the 40. I like the 66. And the 40 is probably a, a fine bet, even though he's very undercursed. But you just look at the people who are next to him and you start to say, hmm, is Neiman better than Sung Jay? Maybe. Maybe. Does he have a better chance of winning this? Maybe he does. Then you're just flipping coins. At least you can try to take some value somewhere and let those decisions take out of your hands. Although that's been you know, my biggest downfall as a better in golf so far this year. I wrote about it on Sunday night. Like You can even see it on the research shows when I go through it. TOC, I was all over Cameron Young. Or sorry, Cameron Smith saw the odds. I was like, yeah, I don't like those odds. I'm not going to bet it. He wins. Same thing at the Players' Championship. The first guy I identified to win, Cam Smith. Then I saw the odds. I was like, no, I can get two guys for the price of Cam Smith. Didn't bet him. Justin Thomas at the PGA Championship. Like, this is just a perfectly tailored course for Justin Thomas. What did I do? Not bet Justin Thomas. No. I bet losers down the board. <laughs> well, you kind of corrected it with Rory, right? Kind of got back to well, that, that was the like, whole, this guy's going to win, so I'm going to bet him. That was the whole thing. I didn't want to do that again. I was like, everything I'm looking at points to Rory. I'm just going to bet Rory and just go with it. Like, why not? I lose every week anyway. And like this one obviously has to be a much bigger bet when you're betting on someone 11 to 1 versus 50 to 1 or 100 to 1. So you have to make a real investment. That's why I only had four bets last week because when you bet the top of the board, you don't. Know, one 11 to one player is three 33 to one players, at least how I structure my bets. So you, know, you can either have three of the 33 guys or you can have one of the 11 guys. And I was like, screw it. Everything's pointing to him. I'm betting him. I hope he wins. And he did. It was great to get a win. And this is my, I tied my season long winning streak of one. Hopefully that can <laughs> you know, move forward from here. I want to stay on Roy for a second. Cause I've been talking to a couple of people about this. Today. I want to get your take on this. Do you think that Rory winning and kind of being anointed now this white knight of the PGA Tour and the PGA Tour's hero. And now suddenly he vaults into, what, a top three storyline this week? Do you think that's, do you find that good or bad for his chances this week as somebody that's holding a double, right? Yeah, I am holding the Rory Rory double. Uh, that would be very nice. I even have a, an auxiliary bet on the same bet uh, for a friend who wanted me to put that on it. So my account will be overflowing. I'll have to give some of that money away to the person who made the bet uh, along with myself. Um, I don't think it really affects anything, to tell you the truth. We can try to psychoanalyze these guys as much as we want. We don't know. Maybe it's a right. good thing that Rory, maybe Rory likes being the center of attention. Maybe that fuels him. I mean, one week into it, seems like that's the case. Or if he plays, it's all outcome related because we're never going to know. Are we? Like if Rory plays poorly, is it because he was the center of attention? It's because he had a fucking bad round. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and if you just, if you take everything out and you just look at how Rory like on the golf course and maybe this is recency bias prisoner of the moment because I watched all that round it was the best that I've seen Rory in quite some time like even you look at like when he won the CJ Cup like it felt like he was piecing things together a little bit more like he was he lost strokes on approach that week this week now he's getting to the point like he's gaining strokes all across the board he's figuring out the wedges he's like 
dead arming wedges. It's funny with Rory. Rory like walks differently when he's playing well. Like he puffs his chest out. Like you can just kind of see it. And that was the first I've seen Rory like that in quite some time. It was basically said there was two other like recent, I mean, even by recent, it was a while ago, the 2019 Canadian Open when he shot the 61 in Hamilton on Sunday to win by seven. Like he had that vibe to him. And we used to see that a lot. Like when Rory would win, he would win by, he would do what he did on Sunday and there would be no one in his stratosphere. At least Finau and Thomas played well to keep up with him. Yeah. But when he when he did it at, in Hamilton, he just annihilated the field. He's done that two or three times. He, no, he's done that sort of outcome twice at Wells Fargo. I think Patrick Rogers and Webb Simpson. Yeah, he, he also won a U.S. Open by eight and a PGA Championship by like seven. Yeah, the, the the one at Congo was, I, I just remember how difficult, it was like he was playing a different course. It was Completely. incredible. Just he was sticking, it was wet conditions too. Yeah. You'd think that other people would have done it, but when he gets hot, like it's why I always refer to Siwoo Kim as sort of like the homeless man's Rory. Because Siwoo <laughs> does the same thing. When you see Siwoo win, obviously it's far less frequent, but it's a lot like what Rory did. Like every like every recovery shot that Rory had on Sunday at the Canadian Open, he stuck it to like four feet and made the putt. And that's what Siwoo does. Like when he wins, he just hits everything to two feet and taps it in. You're like, where is this the other 94% of the time? How does this I just know. happen out of nowhere? And you never know when it's going to come. It's just kind of crazy. But the fact that he was hitting those wedges so well, which has been, I mean, everyone's talked about it. That's been the downfall of his game is that he puts himself in these great scoring positions and he cannot capitalize. When he is 104 yards away from the hole, sticking it to 17 feet ain't cutting it. And that was not the case on Saturday or on Sunday. It was just, I am putting this to three feet and I am making this putt. We are not leaving this to chance. If he can do that again at the country club, he is going to win. But is that a one-week blip? Has he found something? Or does it just revert back to somewhere in between last weekend and what he normally is? Because if it reverts back to what he normally is and he's not hitting every fairway, all of a sudden those up and downs on the par fives from 100 yards aren't for birdie, they're for par. And if you don't have a good putting day, now you're making bogey and you get yourself into a big hole. And then it becomes a problem. So when you're betting on Rory, you're betting on the upside, obviously, that he's going to do all these things well. But I think you have to throw some cold water on it. It's it's not like we're just etching his name onto the very creatively named U.S. Open trophy and just going on with our lives. That's that's not how golf works. To put it in perspective, he gained about 20 strokes to the field that week. Tony Finau gained like 18. When he won the Northern Trust, he gained like 14. Jordan Spieth won a tournament earlier this year at the Heritage, gaining like 12 and a half strokes. So like Finau and JT like all played well enough to win the tournament and win like 75% of the tournaments that happen every week on the PGA Tour and Rory would just completely outgun them. Sure, but I mean, you have to take that with a grain of salt at the same time because they're playing different courses. Uh, you can only the judge back them end of this the field course that you was, were playing. Right, yeah. Yeah. So... Heritage played tougher. It, it did seem like there was some sort of, I mean, the rain overnight helped at St. George's, but the course, the final two days did not resemble the course the first two days whatsoever. It's almost like they told the organizers like, hey, there's this other tour going on. People want to see some birdies here. Let's, let's water this down and put the pins in a far more accessible location. So there were some pins on Thursday and Friday where if it didn't go in the hole, it was 13 feet, 13 feet past the hole. <laughs> right, that was weird. I don't know what, it was like a, I think it played like over a stroke under par the last day and I think a stroke and a half over par the first two days. 
I think with Rory, like you kind of already have, are you good on the double being your exposure to Rory? Or is this the type of situation where you feel like you want to go there in DraftKings too? Because I'm having a difficult time I'm good trying with, to, I, you're I'm good, good with, with it. Fading. I'm good with it. I'm going to use Scheffler. Who yeah. had a good week at the Canadian Open, by the a way. A great week. <laughs> he finished like 15. You know, you know what I was, di- I was digging into Scheffler the other day? You know what's interesting about Scheffler? He's played 12 times this year. The only two times that he didn't have like an incredible week were the two times where he got the wrong side of the draw in that big weather thing was the players and the PGA. So it took these like external circumstances with terrible weather where he just got boned by the wrong side of the draw to not contend. Yeah, gained almost nine strokes TD Green last week. Lost a few strokes putting. Even the Byron Nelson, the week before the PGA, gained almost nine TD. It was almost like a mirror week of what happened. He came 18th and he came 15th. And these are, what, C-minus Scheffler efforts at this point, and he's doing right. that? Like, if he just runs a hot putter, he's going to be unstoppable. Do you think it's like the eye test with him? Because, do you think it's like the footwork, like the sawed-off finishes? Because if you just look at Scheffler's resume, and you just and it was John Rom that did that, or Rory that did that, or JT that did that. Like they just had Scheffler's resume. Isn't that person thirty percent every single fucking week, regardless of price? Yeah, but I think it's where it's so new and now uh, and like Rory is a different element to all this because Rory's thirty percent like every week anyway. Right. Like regardless of how good he's playing, people would be like, yeah, but the upside of Rory is the best upside of anyone. And I agree with that. When all of the players come and they shoot their A plus games, I think that Rory's the best player. I don't think it's close. Well, I mean it's it is close, but I think that he is on a level above everyone else. It just he so rarely gets to that level that you only see it once every two years or once a year, whatever it might be. It just Scheffler is such a roller coaster at the same time too. Like, yeah, it's the footwork. It's the spraying the ball all over the place. Maybe he got really lucky at the Arnold Palmer invitational because he drove the ball very poorly that week, but the approaches were so good. And that's why I like him so much here is that the rough was thick that week. He was behind trees that week. Though his ability to power the ball out of the thick rough and get the loft on it, not have to bump and run it, and feel comfortable trying to make that 17-footer for part that he, well, he doesn't make them all, obviously, but he makes enough of them that you notice. And just of all the top guys right now, he's the one that does that the best. I think there are certain players that, I mean, Zalatoris is another one. The more you ratchet up the difficulty and the higher the score is going to be, the more I think that they feel like they're in the mix. I think Scheffler's like that. I think that, obviously, Will Zalatoris is like that. I think Cameron Young is weirdly like that. Right. In a way, Neiman is like that. That the harder the course... Rom. Rom, yes. I mean, all these guys are good everywhere. Like, I want to make that point, too. <laughs> but there are certain, like, if you're going to swing the balances a little bit, Rom is exactly like that. It Like, very rarely is he going to go out and win a minus 26 event or even a minus 20 event. But if the winning score is minus five or minus six or minus three, you know, those guys are looking really good all of a sudden. Did you see they put out the over-under prop for uh, winning score? They have it at minus 3.5. Does that surprise you? I saw you? that. I'd probably still, I think the winning score will be like minus five. I'm I not going to bet it. I think I, it's going to so be like, like winged foot, right? Where it's like two guys. guys are yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Two guys finish this tournament under par, but like one of them gets to minus five or six. Absolutely. I, I'm kind of on the same page with you. It's like one or two guys are going to be right in that mix to be minus three, minus four. And then by the end of 72 holes, one guy's minus five, one guy's minus two, and a bunch of guys are at even and plus three, that kind of thing. Is Wolf in the field this week? I don't believe that he is. 
He's getting ready for uh, Portland next week. Right. I'm surprised if you finish top five in a U.S. Open, you don't qualify, or is he choosing not to play this week? He played last year in the U.S. Open on that exemption, didn't he? Oh, it's not, it's not multiple years? No, it's just you get the one-year exemption if you come inside the top. I think it's top 10. Maybe it's top right. five. But if you win, you get the 10-year exemption. Right. Um, longer down the board. So you mentioned you have some interest in Keegan. Like, is there anybody, I don't know, we'll say 80-plus that you think can actually win this tournament? Let me go take a look at the current odds. I mean, Liz Siwoo and Woodland. I would throw those guys into the mix. I, I think like those guys. You I know like what? List is guys. another guy who's like that. The harder the course, the better he plays. Yeah. Now, yeah. he can put himself out of the tournament. We do know this. But if you just look at the places where he's done well in his career, they've all been really difficult tracks. And he just doesn't make, he doesn't make enough putts anywhere to compete at a minus 24 event. That's just not his game. So like, even when he competed in Houston, uh, that was a more difficult swing season track. He played really well at the PGA Championship at Bethpage. He won at Torrey Pines. He almost won the Heritage. He, yeah. he lost he's been at Quail at Hollow before. Yeah, yeah. PGA National is another place where he's competed. So it doesn't matter if it's long or short just harder tracks tend to be more of his jam because you have to make fewer putts uh, i mean you have to make listen you have to make the same amount of putts but it, you don't rely on 17 footers for birdie going in and people are going to generate fewer birdie opportunities this week so they're just not going to put up a ton of those numbers a lot of those are going to be par putts but the hope with list is that his overall t to green game and his short game it's really good and i think it's really people, good it's underrated <laughs> Yeah, it's so underrated because he's such a bad putter. You're like, oh, he sucks. His short game sucks. No, his putting sucks. The chipping is fine. And that's a real asset in something like this week. You can find Luke List at 210 to 1. Yeah, I saw a 200. I, I'd want to play him with the placement points just because I don't think that he's going to win. So if he can squeeze out a top eight for me, then... Hell, it pays 50 to 1. That would be fantastic news. Like, that's what he paid me out at uh, Bethpage when I bet him there. Who could win this? I mean, there are names like Frankie Meats, 190 to 1. He showed some signs of life. Molinari? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he showed up on Sky's list of uh, Sky. I put it in my newsletter tonight. Sky did a list of he took every hole that's playing over par this season on the PGA Tour and found out who the strokes gain leaders were on those holes. It is, it's Lowry, Lowry right? You, it's Lowry you by a lot. It. Yeah. It's Lowry by a lot, but Molinari is weirdly on that list. <laughs> Did not uh, expect to see his name. I, I, got, I got it in front of me now. Lowry, Rory, Rom, Berger, Shoffley are your top five. Okay. Salatoris, Fitz, JT, Sungjae, Burns. Aaron Wise is up there. Cam Young, Keegan Bradley, Scotty Scheffler, Luke List. Mito, Neiman, Hovland, Cam Smith, Connors. Max Homa, Molinari, Spieth. Fleetwood, Brian Harmon, Kurt Kitayama, Gary yeah. Woodland, Morikawa, the Gooch. The guys over 100 that I could actually see winning, the only guys, Kokrak at 130. I don't, I don't see him winning this. You don't see it? I would say Munoz has a better chance of winning than Kokrak does here. I like really? Munoz's game for this place. Do you like it more than Woodland? No, but I'm, I'm clinging on to Gary shows up and he's old Gary again. Right. I think in theory, Patrick Rogers could win. He's not going to win, but <laughs> like everything that he does, like he's very Luke Listy, except he's not a great around the green player, but he's an amazing putter. What about Reed? Yeah, but Reed's, it's weird. The, the, I, how deep do you see Reed? Because the best I see right now is 100 to 1. Do you see better? 
I bet him at 120 to one a couple of weeks ago. And I think he went down to like now market is like in the 80s, 90s and like maybe 100. Yeah, I could see him. I like him more than like Sergio or Gooch or even Answer Davis. I mean, Davis Riley, I do like. Hatton is going to be the key to this week, I think. Whether do you have the guts to go back? Like, he burned me so badly in Canada. He was horrible. But I do like him at this. I, I, I liked him at last week's course. and He was just pathetic. But I do like him at this style of course. Him and Seamus Power. I think I'm going to use on DraftKings because very few people are going to use them. I do think that they have legit like top 15 upside. Winning upside? I don't know. But top 15 upside? I can see it here. What about Webb? Nah. Any interest? No. No. Do you? I do. I mean, I, I was looking I was looking very closely at these shorter US open venues that we've had with the small. Yeah, but is greens, this really like a, short though? It's I mean, it's five hundred yards shorter than Torrey Pines and Aaron Hills and a bunch of the recent courses that we've had. But you're right, there's hidden yardage here. Like it doesn't play that short, but length is not the defining feature, if that makes sense, right? Like I don't think that Brian Harmon is too short to finish top 20 here. I don't finish. No, but, I don't think but, like the but, short guys are, but Brian Harmon hasn't been too short to finish top 20. Like any U S he's, <laughs> he's a very good U S open player. I, regardless of how long the track is, I, I remember this exact same conversation from the U S open when it was at Pebble beach, like, well, Pebble beach is like 6,800 yards and it's playing as a par 71. Of course, like you, you need, like anyone can compete here. Do you know who finished at the top of the leaderboard? Woodland, Brooks, Rom, and Xander, and even Rose, who finished top 10 that week in driving distance. Driving distance is always going to be the biggest separator in the top of the leaderboard for the U.S. Open. Yes, shorter guys can compete. Their degree of difficulty is just so much higher regardless of how long any of these courses are, simply because the rough is so penal that where would you rather be hacking out to? To 175 yards or to 105 yards? Like short? The recipe for an extremely quick U.S. Open is short and inaccurate, which is why I think like Cam Smith is probably the least appealing to me of the elite. I completely agree. And listen, maybe he'll have a great week where the accuracy gets dialed up a bit and boom, all of a sudden he's great again. I just don't see it. Like even to go down that list a little bit more, like Reavy is the short hitter. He tied for third that week. Then he won the next week at the Travelers. I remember. So, so he was in the middle of a great run. But other than that, like Louie and Scott, two guys with the ball a ton. Stenson, bit shorter. Rory, then you had Chesson Hadley, bit shorter. Uh, then Willett, Wallace bombed it. Victor bombed it. Fitz was an accuracy player. Byun-Hun Ann, he bombed it. Then you had like Webb, Kuchar, Molinari, McDowell, like the shorter hitter accuracy type guys. But you go inside that top 10, they're all bombers. All of them. <laughs> That's the thing about, I forgot about that with Hovland, is that Hovland's won, he won the USAM at Pebble, USGA set up small greens, and he was he was in the mix at that, at that US Open too as an AM. Maybe there's some, do you buy into the idea of him on courses with thicker, rough, like we know that Southern Hills and Augusta maybe weren't the best situations for him. But See, I disagree. With- I thought that Southern Hills was a good situation for him. And I think that the numbers prove that he had no problems chipping. He couldn't putt. And yeah, normally he, he does putt. He was neutral. The chipping, the chipping was not a problem 
at Southern Hills. And I, I think when you go to extremes with Hovland, that's when it becomes a not an advantage to him, but I think it mitigates his deficiency a lot. And I agree with you, these USG setups. Uh, he gained uh, 1.4 strokes at Pebble Beach around the greens that week. I mean, right. the key with Victor is that you hope he doesn't miss the greens, but everyone misses a green. So that's implausible to think about. But if you have extreme rough, extremely long, where the good short game players are going to be at a disadvantage just because it's so much harder or something like Southern Hills where it's just tight lies everywhere that the balls aren't necessarily going to spin the way that you want them to spin. Or if you try to use the loft, it's not going to work out. It's so atypical of what you see. Augusta around the greens have so much to do with local knowledge and course history and knowing how those greens roll, which the more experience you have, generally the better you are on them. Then if you can control the speed of it, you can become really good around the greens. That's one thing at Southern Hills. It was set up the same way in terms of how the runoffs work, how tightly everything was mown, but people didn't have the same sort of knowledge and the greens weren't completely undulating like they are at the Masters. So it just kind of threw it up into the air. And I think that you're right. The USGA setups kind of mimic that a little bit where the rough is so thick around the green. Sometimes the problem I would have with him is the bunkers. There's so many bunkers around these greens that he's just legit bad out of bunkers. And you're not getting the ball striking. Isn't like Hovland right now. He's not like, you're not getting that peak. Of course it can obviously flip, but it's been like what since like the players, since we've seen like peak Hovland ball striking. Yeah, he had that run basically from the Genesis through the players, and he hasn't finished better than T21 in any tournament since. Yeah, I know, because I, I bet him at Memorial and Colonial. That was not fun. Um, is there anyone we missed, Pat? Is there anyone you're you're dying on? Like anyone that we didn't give enough airtime to? Well, I have the bets. I have more bets that I can make with the card that I've constructed. And like it comes down to how big is that Morikawa number going to get? Because I'm I'm a sucker for Morikawa. I can't help myself. And the guy's amazing. And it's not like he had his memorial experience was real chipping and putting related, which right. won't win if that happens again. And it's but Tim's we've seen birthday. It, we've seen it flip enough times with Morikawa, like short game, that as long as the driving and approach are fine, he can figure the rest out from time to time, especially in these big moments. Like he was, what, fourth last year at the U.S. Open, losing strokes putting. So it's not the craziest thing in the world. And his profile of slightly above average length excellent accuracy, best irons in the world. It's a pretty good recipe for a U.S. Open when you really kind of boil it down. And it's not 76 and a half hundred yards like you mentioned. It's not going to be as long as it was last year. Maybe that's an advantage for him. Maybe it's not because he gets his long irons so well versus the rest of the field. Either way, so you have him. I have real interest in Spieth. I think Spieth could win this week. His driving's been great. It has been great. I... I don't know if like I'm the thing with Spieth that I struggle with is first of all he, like when it with the longer irons he's still one of it doesn't mean he can't compete on longer courses like Augusta you have your fair share of longer irons too but I think the roadmap for Spieth at Augusta is a little bit different because as you mentioned there's just so much local knowledge involved with Spieth like the U.S. Open that he won at Chambers Bay was a very different setup. Like that was when the USGA was experimenting that almost played more like Carnoustie than it did like Brookline. It was like these wide fairways, super firm and fast exposed to the wind. A lot of like kind of just open, open championship creativity vibes, which you're still going to get some of here, but I just like, I know the numbers are good. I just, I think you have to be dominant off the tee to win a USGO, a US open on these USGA setups. And I still don't know if I trust it. Maybe you don't trust it, but the numbers would suggest that you should <laughs> that trust it. He's been, he's been amazing. 
And he's not that short either. Like he's picked, like that's the thing with Morikawa and Spieth. They get talked about as they're short because they're shorter than the other elites. So like in that group of elites, they're the shortest. But like Spieth and Morikawa, they're like fine. They're like average off the tee in distance too. Yeah, I'm looking up Spieth right now. Spieth is, Spieth has been longer than, why is it being set up like that? I don't like that one bit. Um, Scheffler, oh my God, get it together. Get it together, Fantasy National. Let me sort this properly. Okay, here we go. Where is Spieth? Spieth is 60th in driving distance in this field over the past 36 rounds. That's above average. There's 156 players out there. That puts him in line with, like, just for some context, that puts him around Shane Lowry, Patrick Cantlay, Mito, more than Pereira, more than Munoz, more than Fleetwood, more than Cam Smith, Morikawa is 67th. Like, that's not that much different. And Fine. We take... And when we take a look at like the average when it comes down to it, we try to boil it down that way and look who Spieth is around. Where is Spieth here? When you sort it by average and you get the raw data, then it becomes a little bit more difficult. So he's at 3.4 in terms of driving distance per round that he is gaining on the field. That puts him, yeah, in that same like Leishman, Munoz, Mito, just behind. I mean, Varner has 4.2. Lowry and Shoffley both have four. So does Cantlay, 3.5 for Hatton. Like you... In your mind, he's way shorter than that, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it, it's always like, it's just compared to the other elites, right? You just, you think of, you put him in the context where he is in the betting market and the DraftKings pricing, and you look at all the guys stacked up next to him and he's shorter than those guys, but he's fine. He's fine off the tee. Like he's average. I don't know. Do you think he's a guy? Spieth is always a tricky one to figure out. I feel like people in our community are kind of off him, but then you always have that public love for him so it's like is he the type of guy that like what would you put his ownership at over under 15 over just because the public the public sentiment on him no because I, I do think there are a lot of people in our community that just look at the overall numbers like do you know who's number one t to green over the past 24 rounds jordan spieth he's better than rory and jt in that i maybe that was pre uh just for the board. we did the boards on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, so maybe uh, he's behind those guys now, but over the past 24 going into the weekend of players in this field, he was now he's still number one. He's ahead of Rory and Mito. Wow. And his wow. putting is 103rd over that time. Although he gained five at the Memorial, like Spieth is being back to that Spieth. Do you remember when Spieth was like, God awful on the yes. greens before he made that run the year of the pad 2018 when Patrick Reeve won the masters and he ended up coming third because he putted really well that week, but his Tina green game was dominant for three straight months and dude could not make a putt. We see that surface. We've seen it surface a bunch this year where it's not the 47 foot putts that are the problems. It's the two foot putts. And I mean, it happened to Rory at the Canadian open too. And like everything generally does find its level. Like Rory misses those two very short putts, which would have just clinched him the tournament. But many people forget that he almost chipped in from an unplayable lie, essentially on number 10, he chipped in on number six. He made that 40 foot putt. Like, if you're going to make those, you're going to miss some short ones too. Like water will find its balance a lot of the time when it comes to on the green or slightly around the green and scoring opportunities. Just Spieth just seems to, maybe just because he's on TV a lot, is that he seems to miss an inordinate amount of short putts. Who does he? Did they, who did they pair Spieth with this week? I thought, he was, I thought he was with JT, but maybe not. Oh, luck. U.S. Open pairings. Nope, that says U.S. Open paintings. I probably don't want that. 
I don't even know why that's a thing that they were offering me here, U.S. Open paintings. Maybe I should go look at that. Get some. Uh... Do you have any guys in the six? Because here's yeah. the thing: on DraftKings, do you have six K guys that you actually like? Because yeah, it's Spieth, Homa, and Adam Scott is the group. Um. Okay, that's not bad. Oh yeah, Homa made that joke. They paired all the good-looking guys together on Twitter. Now I remember. I, I've I've kind of boiled it down to. And I don't really like any of these guys, which is kind of the problem. Like you're going to, I think you should feel unsafe here. It's only top 60 in ties. So you're going to go have to go out on a limb somewhere because you can't have those lineups now that it's like Rory is going to be like the guy that like Rory with Fitzpatrick Berger and in Sung Jays is probably not going to cut it in terms of trying to get unique. So if I want to afford Scheffler, I need to go down the list somewhere, right? Yes. The problem is, is like, I mean, for me, the last guy that I have starred is Arnaus at okay, 6,800. So he, he was one that I was going to bring up that I really liked this week. So he's in the 60, I mean, really like that. I think a lot of people are going to look like, because there really does feel like there's a line drawn from like from the 7,000 to the 6,000 right. range. <laughs> like it really feels like the, the, what you would call a good player that you would feel comfortable with as your last man in, he's $7,000. Once you get below that, it's like... Fuck if I know. So now you're looking at like Ernest. I'm playing Harry Hall. I don't give a shit. I'm playing him. He's 6,400 bucks. We see one of these corn fairy guys every year at the U.S. Open just pop up inside the top 20. Now, uh, I was hoping it was Cameron Young last year. It was not. He missed the cut on the number. But you have him, like Zalatoris ended up sprinkling into the top one. He was top sixth. Yeah, he was like sixth at Wingfoot. Yeah, Sungjae at Shinnecock. I think he was like 17th. That was like the first Sungjae moment that we ever had. So these things happen. It's not crazy. It's like weird amateurs or like real old dudes at the Open Championship. They just kind of materialize out of nowhere. Can you be on the right ones? So you have Callum Taran, Kurt Kitayama, Arnest. This is where I would lean Bomber. Like if you want like... I like Kitayama. Kitayama plays hard course as well. He absolutely mashes the ball. He... It's good long iron player. Yeah, he just he gets a he gets a case of the bad sometimes though, and it's just like, <laughs> oh my god, what are you doing? <laughs> I think getting, with, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say with our nows, I think our nows actually has a somewhat similar profile to Kitayama, from what I've heard with the Euro guys that I talked to. Like you even have like MJ Defu, uh, who I used to always enjoy uh, playing in my DraftKings lineup after he would Monday qualify for an event. South African dude, he pounds it off the tee. Like his driving distance gained over the past 36 rounds is marginally higher than Luke List and Will Zalatoris. When's the last time we've seen MJ Defu on on uh, PGA Tour? Uh, the Houston Open last year, he came T60, made his last three cuts on the PGA Tour. I believe he just actually had a run at, on the Corn Ferry, though, like right. last week. I, I recall when they cut away during the broadcast, like, here's the Corn Ferry. Da, 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 da. I, I swear to God, I saw his name. MJ no, he missed the cut. Uh, MC T37, third, third was his recent run on the Corn Ferry. Okay. I think our Naus is, I think I trust our Naus because our Naus. He originally popped into my mind because I think he finished like 30th at the PGA and did. gained a bunch of strokes ball striking. And then you look at what he's done on the European tour. He's got, he's played 12 times this year. He's made nine cuts. He's got seven top 20s, five top 10s, a second, a third, he's, and a win. Yeah, he's got the win. Yeah, he was good at the uh, at the PGA championship. I mean, he wasn't beating luminaries at the 
Cataluna championship in Spain. <laughs> but even in Germany last week, he was T16. Like that, That's not bad. Like That's around where you want to see him. And you know what the profile is going to be with him. So yeah, I'm with you. I like him at $6,800. I, I think that Harry Hall just sets up really well. And he is cruising on Corn Ferry right now. Win T5 his past two starts. And he bombs it. I think they added Goddard up too. I think Goddard upset, right? Yeah, God- Goddard is actually in his six weighted rounds, his third in driving distance in this field. I did it Goddard last week. I-, I got sunk with the Goddard ship. Was it uh, PME he- open? He was a- he was twenty percent in that one, right? He was twenty yeah. percent in the two hundred dollar single entry too. Yeah, yeah. I did not. Did I have my two hundred dollar single entry team? I don't think that I did. I think I had like. Some other jabroni you sucked. Yeah, Bryce Garnett. <laughs> Good call, Pat. Um, Ryan Fox is playing. I always like to meet some Ryan Fox. <laughs> I'm okay with Ryan Fox. He, he hits it a long way as well, right? Yeah, he bombs it. Uh, I, I think, I mean, he came T54 at the PGA Championship. Another guy who gained, like, ball striking-wise was great. Couldn't chip, couldn't putt. But he might be damaged goods after what happened to him. I think it was at the Dutch Open. Whatever the week was after the PGA championship when he was on the 17th team is a minus oh, yeah. 5,000 favorite to win the tournament and lost. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Everyone was losing their mind. Up. He lost, he ended up losing in a playoff, I think to Victor Perez, who actually I've heard a little Victor Perez buzz. Well, he won on the, year. I'm really upset. My guy, Adrian Moronk didn't get into this field. The guy from Poland, he's like my, he's the most consistent guy in Europe. And he looks like the biggest goober on earth. He's like nine feet tall. And just like, yeah, he played in the U.S. Open last year. And I think he made the cut. And just like, you see him like, this guy looks so out of place being on like the PGA tour, but he fits right in on the European tour. You're like, oh yeah, weird, weird looking Euro guy from Poland. And he's just like T7, T3, tied for 11th, second. Like he's just very consistent. I actually want to go look at, see how off I am on that in his consistency. He missed his, he missed the cut in Germany before that third, sixth missed cut. Third, third, twenty eighth, sixth, fourth, WD. <laughs> but he yeah. was eleventh on like the list to get in because he missed the cut. The last guy I throw out. Is anyone surprised if Mackenzie Hughes finishes T eight this week? Nope, not at all. But I'm also not surprised because I did the same thing at the PGA Championship. And I was like, oh yeah, Mackenzie Hughes. I could see him being top five for no reason. He was like tied for 140. Did it at Tory Pines, basically, right? Like he was. He was in the mix at Torrey Pines. I think he kind of hit a, I think he hit a ball into a tree he did. on I Sunday because I, I was there. I, I'm, I mean, I may have this wrong, but I think that him and Henley were the final group. They were. And Bland, by the way, was the 36-hole leader. It's okay, a wild US Open. Yeah, Bland was the 36-hole leader. The only other guy down here besides Hughes, Lucas Herbert has a little bit of that in him where it's yeah, just he, like, like none you, you of this pay- makes sense, but he's there. Yeah, you pair him with Mackenzie Hughes in speed. You might as well throw Denny McCarthy into that lineup. Like he has a profile, put it that way. Yeah. Um, I don't have anyone else. Do you have anyone else you want to throw out there? Let me go down. Dude. Just let me see who I have started. I don't think that I do to tell you the truth. Let's see. Harry Hall. I have Herbert Ernest. That's it. If you could find somebody down here, like the narrative that I already hear building is balanced this week, because I think people love that nine K range. They love Xander. They like Lowry a lot too. So if you can find somebody down here, I think that opens up a lot of possibilities. I completely, I mean, that's why when I'm building around Scheffler, I got to go down in here because there are guys in the nines and the eights. I still want to play. I don't want to build a Scheffler, Sungjae, four guys at 7,000 lineup. Like that's, I'm not super interested in that. I'd want to, I want to take a shot down here with someone. 
Got to find out who the right guy is, though. Like, Horsefield, I think, makes sense. He was, how'd he do in Lev last week? He was a Lev guy, right? I think he was top five. Let's see. That That's something to look at, because I didn't even, I, I put it out in my article on DraftKings, like, about Dustin and Sergio and guys like that. Do Horsefield, we have, yeah, he was, do we have he was stats? Fifth. No, like they have like greens and regulation and putts per round. So it's like using the PGA tour.com set. <laughs> right. Right. Let's see. Yeah. It was Charles, uh, Duplass, Grace, Uline, Horsefield were the top five. Otagi. I didn't realize Otagi was live. Good for him. Uh, DJ was eighth. Gooch was ninth. Louis was 10th. Who else is here? Bland was 17th. Is Sean Norris playing. Yeah, Sean Norris is in the field, I think, this week. Disappointing run from Kevin Na. I thought Kevin Na had a... I thought it was a good course for Kevin Na. I, I bet Hudson Swafford, and he was bad. <laughs> well, he was 77 opening round, and he was 73-69. But, uh, yeah, not, not a good run for him. He was T30. Kevin Na was T33. So, yeah, the guys who played well are the guys that you would almost expect to have played well, although Schwartzel, I don't believe, is in the field this week. So, yeah, yeah Horsefield played fine. I just... Do you think Dustin plays well? Define well, like top 25, top 20? How about this? Can he win this week? I don't see him winning, no. Can he win? Yes, but no, I don't see him winning. What odds would you need on Dustin? Because I'm seeing a 50 now on Dustin. (laughs) That's pretty close to it. Yeah, I mean, 50 50 is enticing. 100% 50 is enticing. I have him starred in DraftKings. Like, if you're giving me a top 30 player of all time at 4%, like, you have to consider it, right? So I'm thinking about it in DraftKings. The question is, I want to find some form of leverage up top. And my initial thought was Hideki. I like Hideki, but I don't know if Hideki is going to be as low-owned as I thought he was yeah but you don't need a three percent guy like hideki being 11 11 yeah i do you think, think hideki will be 11 no he'll probably be more than that but i think that's what yeah. the idea of using hideki at quote low ownership that's what i would consider like 10 to 13 low ownership sure. for him in this field do you think that lowry's ownership gets out of control because i don't think that it will no i th- i mean these guys have to like they have to balance out like i think lowry probably 16 feels about right for Lowry. That's good. I think he's the single best play on DraftKings this week. I love Lowry too. Like for for the for nine thousand dollars, he works in any lineup. Whether you want to go stars and scrubs, you can still fit him in. You want to go balance, he can be your third guy in. I just think he works in a lot of ways. You could go like you could honestly do like Xander, Zalatoris, Lowry, and still here's the thing. A lot of people are doing that. <laughs> well, sub DJ in for one of those guys. Sub DJ. I mean, for, yeah, sub DJ in for Zalatoris. Now you're you're talking about a totally different type of thing. I just don't trust DJ. I think DJ is going to be shit. But that's me. Are you betting him miss a cut? No, I don't know if I don't like him that much. But I didn't even see the miss the cut odds. I bet you they're not giving you good enough odds on it. If I had to wager, right? Well, Tim's was Tim's lighting on fire was what Rory, right? Yeah, R- Rory can't win, according to Tim. That's always nice. Let's see here. Who do you say is going to win? Morikawa. His miscut is plus 200. Uh, DJ is, I didn't see. Yeah, they might not even be offering DJ how crazy it is. This happened uh, before, too, with Louie at the PGA Championship. They just didn't offer him. Oh, there's Dustin, plus 135 to miss the cut. Like, that's, not, nah. that's, that's not great. Nah. 
This is yeah. a tournament to take guys to like, what's Cam Smith to miss the cut? Plus he's two to one to miss the cut. Like that's, that's a reasonable number, I think. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think in my opinion, Cam Young is the most likely of the guys above nine to miss the cut, I think. Probably. DJ, J- yeah, DJ, DJ just with like lag. Like here's the thing. Because we can talk about DJ all we want, maybe a good pivot play, maybe a good bet at his price. It's not Brooks at 66 this morning. Like, no one thinks Brooks has a chance here. That's usually a great Brooks position. Now, I also think that he's not a good play or a good bet, but I've just been so constantly wrong on Brooks over the years that a 4% Brooks at the US Open, like, we're going to feel like real knobs when he shoots six under in the first round. Who would you rather bet, Brooks at his number or Bryson at his number? Probably Brooks. Me too, I think. Yeah, I just think Bryson still hurt. The only thing with Brooks is like, I can get behind a Brooks in terrible form. Like he had terrible form coming into the PGA Championship at Kiowa and almost won that. The thing I'm struggling with is like, now you're just adding the wedding shit into it too. So it's like, not only is he in terrible form, but he's also just like, he's not doing the things that he usually does, which is like play before these majors and stuff like that. Now you have videos of him dancing with like ludicrous and stuff like that. It's just, it's a lot to get past. It is, but the bad form that he had going into Kiowa was completely injury related. Like the guy couldn't bend down at the masters. We think Brooks is fully healthy. Can we honestly say that we know that Brooks is fully healthy? I mean, I don't, I haven't heard an injury. The last time I saw him, he looked relatively healthy on the course. That that's more than I could say before Kiowa when he looked visibly in pain. Right. It's weird because he hasn't he was doing the thing where he was playing before a lot of majors and then he just stopped. Like he didn't play the week before the PGA and he's not playing the week before the US Open. That's what worries me. I don't understand why he didn't join Liv. That seems perfect for him. Yeah, I'll play like eight times a year. <laughs> I think he still might. You don't think he you don't think he still will? I mean, I don't think that he's going to go, but the fact that his brother is over there, I think that was just like, hey, we'll sign Chase. Maybe Brooks will come. I think there's a decent chance that Brooks is going to go. I think that of the of the elite players, right? Like of this group of like, I don't know, JT, Rory, Spieth, Rom, Morikawa, Hovland, you can kind of like, it seems like you can cross those guys out. But like, can you cross out Hideki? No. Like that would make but, a ton but, of sense for Liv. But that, corner that, that the Japan move, market. That doesn't move the needle at all, though. Like if they actually so? want to go, because Rory is just off the board. It feels like. Yes. If they actually want to. So make is a JT. Move, and so is JT. But we didn't say Spieth. They gave Spieth three hundred million bucks. I think that'd be a real game changer for them. What about Xander and Cantlay? <laughs> Fuck. No one cares. <laughs> really, you think that's moving the needle? Two guys. No, but I did. Like people, I disagree, people legit I, can't stand Cantley. I disagree with you about Hideki, though. I think Hideki is a huge get for him. He's fucking Tiger Woods in Japan. Yeah. Okay. Internationally, yes, but for the PGA Tour, I don't think that the North American fan are is really going to miss Hideki. That's fair. That's fair. But I think if you corner the, because I mean, it's isn't their whole thing. We want to be international. Like they want to, they have events in Singapore and stuff like that. So if you, if you corner that Japanese market and it's already like you look at the media following Hideki at the masters, it's massive. If you get all of the Japanese on board with Hideki and they start following live, I think that would make sense personally for them. Yeah. I, how much money is it going to take though? Hideki? 
Yeah. I'm sure they offered him something crazy. They offered every big player something crazy. Uh, I would offer Hideki a lot more money than I would offer Patrick Reed. I would probably offer him. What was Bryce? What was DJ? 125? I mean, I, I we think so. We don't know. That Bryson, happened. I think, is their biggest get so far, besides Phil. Bryson's huge. Like I love Bryson. I'm going to miss Bryson. Like I'm going to miss Bryson at courses like Bay Hill every year. I'm just going to miss Bryson. I like Bryson. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Last question. We got to get out because I got to do another podcast too. Last question for you though. What about the idea of the PGA Tour just being like, okay, fine, just do it. Like, it's not like Liv is scheduling these events. Like, I think it'd be a totally different scenario if Liv was scheduling their big championships the week of the players, the week of Memorial, the week of Bay Hill, the week of Riviera. Like, they're not, right? Like, so what is, what do they have to lose by just being like, okay, you want to play eight times a year on this other tour and still play our flagship events too? Like, is that a terrible idea for them financially? No, that was my initial lean into it anyway. Just pretend. The biggest mistake the PGA has made with all of this is pretending like live matters. Just say, yeah, go play it. Go nuts. Stake your 100 million bucks. That's fine. And like they'll have, it'll, it'll be like what Greg Norman wanted from the WGCs to begin with anyway. That right. you'd have like four or five big live tournaments a year. That would be sort of like a money grab for everyone and no one would really care about it. Then the, everyone would just play on the PGA Tour. Uh, I agree with you. That's what I would do for it. That would be my kind of statement. Yeah, go play. Go nuts. I, but the thing is, that looks bad for the Shell Houston Open and the RBC Canadian Open. Like <laughs> right. RBC, no, but like RBC is a big sponsor of the PGA Tour. Like Zurich is a big sponsor of the PGA Tour. You can't just start saying like, hey, we're punting these events and you guys are supposed to be our partners. They have to protect those corporate interests as well. Yes. And think about how much like if the Live has an event, like Portland is going up against, I guess it's going up travelers, but like, Rocket Mortgage, right? Like that means a lot to like, they've talked about how that means a lot to the city of Detroit. And it's like, so you can't marginalize those places either or they're no. And and that's a place where Phil played, Bryson played and Reed played was the Rocket Mortgage and Ricky. All four of those guys were like big draws for that Detroit field. Now they're not going to be there. Right. All right, Pat, we got to go plug all your stuff this week. What you got going on? Pat Mayo Experience Podcast. Actually, you know what? Follow me on Twitter at the PME if you don't already. I mean, I'm a terrible follower. I would imagine that they do. Maybe, but sub to my newsletter. Um, I get someone else to write it most of the time. Like they come up with the research for it and I just kind of tailor it all together to come out. So one of those is coming out every night this week as it does during major season. But all of the information about where to follow me, how to get in the giveaways, where to find the shows, the articles, all that shit, it's in the newsletter and it's spelled out in like three lines. So it's probably better just to read it. Uh, Substack, Mayo Media is how you can find it. You can find it in the description of any of my shows. I constantly tweet it out because I'm essentially a bot on Twitter that tweets with just links out to things. And if you retweet any of my stuff this week, you get a ballot into a draw for cash. So try that. Can I give you real quick, can I give you a very underrated Andercurse thing that happened? Yo, yeah, hit me. You're so, the one who's got to go. <laughs> okay, so, all right. This isn't, pro- this probably isn't like, Custy Awards level stuff. But the last interaction that I ever had with Tim was when he wished me well on my new position at the score. <laughs> I, pre- I proceeded to work for that company for like a month and a half. Now, 
I left on fantastic terms. I didn't get fired. Rick just gave me a better opportunity. But literally the last interaction I had with Tim was him wishing me well at the score. And I think I worked there for eight weeks. Hey, it's a good run, eight weeks. It's longer than I lasted at Sportsnet in Canada. So that It was wasn't good. meant immediately to EPAT was like, Tim, did you really have to do this? Like the writing was on the wall. Like he saw it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, you're in a better place now. 100%. Um, Pat, it was fantastic to see you. We'll do it again soon. Thanks for joining me, buddy. Of course, man. Thank you. All right. That is it for the show. Special thanks to Pat. Special thanks to rickrungood.com. If you want more of my content, hopefully you're not burnt out by now. I'll be doing a full DraftKings breakdown with Kobe Dubose, which will probably be out Tuesday evening, Wednesday morning at the very latest. That's going to be a really good one. Um, You're not going to want to miss that one. And then I went on the Golf Gambling Podcast with Twitterless Steve at Boston Capper. That one's always a blast. Um, You can find that on the Golf Gambling Podcast feed. And Scramble, Tuesday morning with Rick, live from Brookline. I'll be doing my regular hits on Koozie San Diego local news as well. I'll post out the link on Twitter for those. DraftKings article on Wednesday. And I think that's it for now, hopefully. Make sure to leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts to be entered into the draw to win $200 in cash or my Scotty Cameron. And we'll see you back on the podcast feed with Kobe tomorrow. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack And the dead shed the back road stop Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.